Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 71 of the Summit for Wellness podcast. I am your host, Brian Carroll, and this week we will be having a returning guest to the show. He is our resident EMF expert, Brian Hoyer. We will be talking about the incoming wave of 5G towers, and since 5G travels a much shorter distance than other frequencies, we'll dive into uh, whether that type of frequency is as damaging to the body as other frequencies frequencies. Now, the really interesting thing is that uh, since Brian and I recorded this episode, there has been a lot of changes uh, that have occurred in the EMF world. And there's been more and more studies that have been coming out talking about the potential dangers of EMFs. And there's also a school down in California that has a cell phone tower right on campus. And there has been over five cases of kids getting cancer in the last two years and multiple adults getting cancer as well. So while talking about EMF exposure was considered woo-woo before, it is starting to become a topic that might actually have more impact on us than previously thought, which is why science and health is so fascinating because what we know is constantly changing, and that's what I love about it. Uh, But before we dive into this episode, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Athletic Greens. Their greens powder is made from 75 whole food ingredients to support five main areas of health, the immune system, digestive system, adaptogenic support, antioxidants, and energy production. If you are looking for an easy way to start adding in healthy nutrients into your body, one scoop per day is all you need. So to learn more, go to summitforwellness.com slash greens. All right, now let's dive right into my interview with Brian Hoyer. We have a returning guest for this episode, and his name is Brian Hoyer. He was previously on episode 13, and he is a nutritional therapy practitioner and is a certified geobiologist trained by the Environmental Medicine Clinic in Austria. Brian travels all over the country doing EMF assessments, speaks at conferences and on podcasts, and helps families install shielding solutions. Thanks for coming back onto the show, Brian. Yeah, happy to be here. Glad I could come back. Yeah, so since episode 13, can you tell us a little bit about um, some of the stuff that you've been doing? Because in episode 13, you talked about uh, building your tiny home and traveling around the country. So can you talk a little bit about that experience of, um, you know, going around the country in a fully shielded tiny home and doing assessments at different people's places? Yeah, it was pretty fun. We, you know... It, it, I kind of like after doing that one trip, I realized that the tiny house isn't so tiny and I didn't really want to do it that often, like move it. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it, it adds a little more stress on the road when you have this big thing you have to tow behind you and find a place to park it and all of that. But it was definitely really fun. And uh, we noticed a huge difference. Actually, one of the interesting things about that trip was that um, – the girls, my, I have three daughters, and uh, they're they're pretty young. And during that trip, they were sleeping fine, 
And then we got to our destination to my father-in-law's uh, property in Ohio and we moved inside his house and they started grinding their teeth and, and having some more sleep issues and everything. And we realized that it was because of not, not sleeping in this shielded space. So we moved back out to the tiny house in the summer and all that stuff stopped. And, uh, and then when we had to move back in, in the winter, um, it started again. So it's, it was really interesting to just see that. And I don't recommend experimenting on your children or your family, <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, sometimes you just notice things and, um, you have to attribute it to certain environmental factors or changes in your diet and everything, but we could kind of pin this down and we figured out that it was due to sleeping in the shielded space versus unshielded space. So, and I would assume that you did some measurements as well. So how much of a difference was it being inside of the house compared to the tiny house? Oh man, it was, it's pretty significant. Uh, and it's mainly the cell phone frequencies that were impacting that for the girls. And then also the geopathic stress. Um, we ended up getting these, these mats that helped deflect the radiation from the earth that we were able to put under the bed. And that actually helped a little bit when we were even inside the house, but it was never as good as um, when the kids were in the tiny house, fully shielded from the cell phone towers. Um, But yeah, it's probably like 20 times higher outside versus inside the shielded space. Wow. And you said that was in Ohio. So does Ohio have a high concentration of like cell phone towers and other things that emit EMFs or um, is it pretty in line with a lot of the rest of the country? Yeah. You know, basically the, the rest of the country, you know, every single place has its own problems and most places are about the same. It just depends on like a rural versus urban areas. There's a lot, more concentration where there's more concentration of people, they need more cell phone towers because of all the bandwidth. So if you're out in a more rural area, there's usually less uh, cell phone towers. But the caveat to that is that sometimes in a rural area, because there's less cell phone towers, your phone is actually pumping out more radiation to reach those towers. So it's kind of a catch 22. You're always going to have a high reading um, wherever you're at there are some places that are a little lower than others, but it's, it's getting fewer to be where there's fewer and fewer places where you can go to escape this. I mean, if you think about when, you know, if you're, if you're old enough to remember when cell phones first started to become popular and you had your first cell phone, uh, you can kind of remember, Hey, you know, when you'd never wanted your cell phone to go on roaming because if, because you'd have these roaming charges, but we don't really have that anymore. Because there's so many uh, towers and networks that are connected that, you know, we, we hardly ever are unconnected or don't have cell, cell signal anymore. And, you know, there's still a few places that do that where you can get away and be like, I have no cell service here. But that still doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't being exposed. I mean, you can turn on the radio, you'll still get radio stations and that sort of thing. And uh, there's only a few places in the country where you won't get any radio stations. And I've been to those this last year. That was, that's probably something we should talk about is um, I went to some places where there was no radio stations and that was really cool. Yeah. So in those places that don't have radio stations, um, 
what were the measurements like there? Was it pretty minimal on the EMF level? Yeah, it was, it was zero. Um, the, wow. the place, the place I went to was this, uh, this place in West Virginia called Green Bank. And they have this observatory there where they have this radio telescope and they use this telescope to, um, basically there's optical telescopes that we see, uh, images from space, but a lot of the images we see are actually depictions of pictures that this radio telescope has taken because optical telescopes can't get through dust and silt and, and other types of matter that are out floating in space, but the radio waves can. And so um, every star emits a very, very minuscule amount of radio frequency radiation and so with this huge telescope as big as like three football fields, they're able to rotate it and aim it at certain places in the, in the galaxy and get and, and produce these images of these really weak radio signals that are coming from outside. But they're, they're like literally millions or billions of times less powerful than what we're being exposed to today. So um, it's, they, they can't have any interference. And they have a guy whose full-time job uh, with the observatory is to go around and track interference signals. So they have these antennas all over their their property, and he has this van that he triangulates uh, the signals. And so if someone has a toothbrush that has a wiring error or they have Bluetooth in it or something, uh, he'll go out and like knock on their door and be able to find out exactly where they live and say, Hey, I'm getting this signal from here. And then he'll figure out what it is and, uh, and basically find a way for them to fix that. So it's not interfering with their telescope. Wow. That is. So how many locations like that are in, let's say the United States? There's two that I know of the one, the one in green bank. And then there's one like about 30 miles away at a Naval base station where they have like a radio free zone in a certain frequency range. And then there's some places and, you know, like that was one of the things is when I'm going, when we were finally in that green bank uh, radius where they don't allow any um, radio frequencies or cell phones or, or anything, you'd go through the radio station and it would just keep going spinning through the cycle because it can't lock onto any station whatsoever and everything's just reading the lowest that it can. It, it read so low there that I could, I was picking up radio frequency signals from the componentry in my meters that measure radio frequency. I could actually hear it when, it, like my, I took one meter to another meter, and I could actually go over my, I could go over one of my radio frequency meters with my other one, and I could actually hear the buzz when when it would go by my other meter, and and. It, you only get that when you're in a Faraday cage where it's you're completely blocked from all these frequencies or you're in a place like that. So I was able to do a lot of interesting testing when I was, when I was there that kind of gave me some information. Okay. This is probably going to be a better way to implement shielding in people's homes. And what are some of the other um, types of EMF that are stressors? Because even in that town where they have zero radio frequencies traveling through the air, they're still, well, I guess they don't have zero radio frequencies because they do have some things from dirty electricity. There's a big dirty electricity problem there. And that has to do with some radio frequencies that are riding on the, 
low frequency electrical lines and everything. So um, that's why some people that are electrosensitive, they'll move to, you know, a lot of them move to this, this area to Green Bank or an area around there. And they're hoping to get some respite from their sensitivity. And a lot of them do, but those that are really sensitive to dirty electricity often have some big problems in that community because the electrical is so inefficient and and dirty and it's causing all these transients and electromagnetic interference to run along the electrical lines. So obviously listening to this, now we know there's multiple ways that EMFs are distributed. So can you talk about what EMFs are and what are some different um, uh, items that might put out EMFs? Yeah, so there's basically when I talk to people about EMF, we're talking about uh, – I, I have six different things that I test for when I go into someone's home. Two of them aren't really related to they're kind of EMF, but they're a little bit a, a caveat to that. So those two are geopathic stress from the earth and then uh, artificial light. And light is technically a type of electromagnetic frequency. It's just in the visible spectrum range of EMF. And then the earth has a frequency and it has a natural uh, radiation. But when that's in excess, that can be damaging to the human body as well. So if we're, if we're just leaving those two out, then we're talking about the four others are wireless frequencies, and that's from your cell phone. Your microwave produces wireless, um, you know, radio stations, television, cell phone towers, baby monitors, your Wi-Fi, um, Bluetooth, anything that has wireless information traveling through the air. So wireless, all that goes underneath the wireless heading. And then there's electricity from inside your home, from the wires in your home, that has an electric component and a magnetic component, and they're measured separately. So one, the electricity is measured in voltage, and then the magnetic part of that is measured with milligas or nanotesla. And they're, every, each one of these things is mitigated differently. And then the third thing is kind of a mix between the electricity and the wireless. That's the dirty electricity. And that's, you know, the power company basically uh, delivers power to you that is inefficient. And it comes with all these electro, this electromagnetic interference called voltage transients. And, and that's been shown in many studies to have a huge impact on blood sugar and, and uh, cause have a correlation with cancer. And, um, you know, I've seen, like, people that I put in solutions for just filtering the dirty electricity, I've seen their blood sugar drop by five points a- after installing the solutions. Uh, so those are the four basic kinds. You know, you got the wireless, the electric fields, magnetic fields, and the dirty electricity. And each one of those things has a different solution for how to fix it. So there's never one solution that fixes everything, even though there's a lot of products out there that claim to do that. You have to use, you know, all of these different frequencies use real physics to um, be delivered to us, either, you know, through wires or, or wirelessly. And we have to use real physics and scientific, you know, procedures in order to shield ourselves from these. So for dirty electricity, it has to be filtered. 
for magnetic fields, it has to be blocked or we have to stop the current from going through whatever it's going through. For the electric fields or the voltage, we have to put a grounded barrier between us and the electric field so it's not coming onto our bodies. And then for the wireless, we have to just put any metal barrier between. It can be grounded or not grounded. It doesn't matter. We're, we're basically shielding ourselves by blocking ourselves or reflecting those frequencies away from us. So with these four different um, forms of EMFs, is there one form that can cause more damage to the body or do each uh, form have their own impact on the body? Yeah, well, you know, as a nutritional therapy practitioner in our training, we learn that the body is very bio-individual. Every person has, um, you know, their own struggles and their own body chemistry and everything that, you know, where you have uh, weak links in your chain in different places than the next person. And so in some ways, that's the same way as it is for these environmental stressors of EMF is that one person might be really sensitive to dirty electricity or another person sensitive to the wireless frequencies or magnetic fields. And so, you know, the, the mechanism behind them has actually been found to be the same. And there's a, the, the guy who really discovered the mechanism, his name is Dr. Martin Paul, and he's out at the, uh, Washington State University. He's the professor emeritus of uh, biochemistry and um, I forget what what his other title was, but he he basically did these uh, studies and gathered these studies together that showed that the mechanism is that uh, the voltage gated calcium ion channels in every single cell that you have that happen to be concentrated in the heart and the brain. Um, but every single cell has these, uh, that those are stimulated by the different types of EMF. And when they're stimulated, it causes calcium uh, to uh, an influx of calcium into the cell and starts this nitric oxide perioxynitrite cycle. That's, that uh, They call it the no-oh-no cycle. So it's like, no, oh, no, it, it's 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 kind of the easy way to remember it is that like once this cycle started, then it's like, Oh no, this is bad. And it's an inflammatory cycle that kind of starts to inflame the body and it leads to all kinds of chronic conditions. So it's really a foundational stressor. And and you see this cycle happening in people with chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, arthritis, autoimmune disease, uh, autism. Uh, You can actually measure this cycle and, The goal is to get that cycle to stop, but it's always activated by this EMF. And so in order to give the body the resilience it needs, we have to stop that cycle from happening. And in order to do that, there's a multitude of things that we need to to block, shield, and filter um, and get away from in order to give the body a break so that it can get out of the stress response and into a healing response. And, you know, I've, I've noticed over time that in order for that to happen, you know, the the bedroom has to be absolutely perfect. And so we've really concentrated on perfecting the shielding of a bedroom in the work that I do uh, with my, my clients and customers and, and people that I help uh, with their health. 
That's that's super interesting because the calcium that's entering the cell that has to come from somewhere. So that could also be a factor in uh, people with osteoporosis as well. Uh, correct? Yeah, definitely. And you know, when you use calcium, there you know magnesium is depleted because it has to relax uh, those muscles and those cells as well. So, you know, I kind of have this theory. And I, I think there's a few studies out there that back this up. You know, we have this uh, kind, we have this epidemic of magnesium deficiency, and it's kind of it's kind of always bothered me that like people are like, oh yeah, we need to get our magnesium, and 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 everyone's always taking magnesium, and nobody's ever has too much magnesium that I've ever heard of. I don't know if you've ever heard. Have you ever heard of anybody having too much magnesium? <laughs> nope, everyone's depleted. Yeah. So like if if everyone's depleted, how come nobody's ever asked why? Uh I think there's there's probably multiple reasons, but why is it all of a sudden in modern day do we have this epidemic magnesium deficiency? Yes, it can be related to digestion and and being in a sympathetic state most of the time so you're not digesting your your minerals and everything. But why is it that that this one mineral that's so important is like massively depleted in modern society. I I I kind of have the hypothesis and really think that it probably has a lot to do with these calcium ion channels and and the depletion of um, magnesium because of this no ono cycle that's going on. Well, it also doesn't help that most of the uh, the foods that we get nowadays don't have magnesium in it. So, in a, a world where we have so much EMF exposure, that's uh, pulling calcium around the body and also depleting the magnesium. And then eating food that doesn't have magnesium in it anymore. Now you're getting deeper into that oh no uh, situation where you're now at oh no 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 no. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it's it's you know I I try not to pigeonhole myself into into a corner with this because there's multiple factors that are going on that create this perfect storm of of no ono. You know, it's a no ono storm. Maybe we could call it. But the uh, the idea is that you know yeah it's the yeah it's these all these environmental things the EMF it's the pesticides it's the herbicides it's the toxic air and the mold and the GMOs and and everything all working together to cause this perfect storm that's causing Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, autism, and the list goes on. Uh, but the the interesting thing is that we have, you know, we have physical things that we can nourish our body with, physical things that are toxic to the body, but we also have biophysical. Uh, energetic things that are that can actually disrupt the mech the mechanisms and and the physiology of the body um, and what they found in many studies is that the emf not only uh, activates via that no ono cycle but because of that it's also causing leaky blood brain barriers and leaky gut and you know every barrier in the body starts to be more permeable because of the exposure to these and the and the skin is another area that's uh that's really uh you know vulnerable with with these frequencies especially these higher frequencies that we're getting to with 5G uh because it's it there's this uh skin effect on antennas that that 
that uh, a lot of RF technicians know about where only the outside is the part that's really stimulated uh, by this. But then once, once the frequency is resonating with the outside of the coil uh, or the antenna or the metal or whatever it is, anything metal acts as an antenna, but your body acts as an antenna as well because it's slightly conductive. Um, but the skin of the, of the metal is, is activated and resonates, but then it resonates a different frequency from that portion into the inner portion. And so the skin is really the, the outside metal or the skin on a human being is something that's, that's even more drastically affected by all of these different frequencies that are resonating our skin. Hmm. So uh, when people are being exposed and it's doing all this damage to the body, can this damage be reversed? And if so, how, um, how do you go about doing that? Um, yeah, it can, it can be reversed. And the thing about it is uh, there's some people out there that, that kind of think of this non-ionizing, non-thermal radiation as if it's ionizing radiation. Like once you're exposed, it builds up in the body and that sort of thing. That's, that's not really true. Um, because it's a physiological response, as soon as you're, as soon as the signal stops, you're, you're not, you're not collecting it. What you are doing though, is collecting damage from, from that stimulation of that no ono cycle, the perioxynitrite cycle. And so the free radicals can build up in the body, but it's not like ionizing radiation where you have radioactive isotopes that are building up in your body and, and emitting radiation. So, um, but the, the damage that's done, it can be undone by specific antioxidants. Um, you know, the, the molecular hydrogen is a big one that's been shown in studies to reduce the damage. And I think this is something that uh, I learned from Dr. Mercola. Uh, it reduces the damage by up to 80%. If you're if you take like molecular hydrogen before a big exposure, and so there's you know, and then I I often with my clients I'll I'll do some autonomic response testing that I learned from Dr. Klinghard and some other of my mentors uh, a type of uh, kinesiology muscle testing, and you can figure out exactly what the person needs, and then there's little vials that I have that show the uh, represent the different frequencies of exposures. Uh, that are electromagnetically imprinted, just like a homeopathic remedy would be into a, a vial. And uh, you can see what the person's sensitive to and also which types of supplements they would need in order to help reverse that damage or help them handle uh, that, uh, that biophysical stressor. And so can you reverse the damage? Yes, you can. That's one way, some supplementation. But then there's also this uh, near-infrared light therapy that actually functions along the same way to combat the no ono cycle by uh raising your bh4 levels and um and that basically combats the perioxynitrite and helps to reduce the nitric oxide and the interaction between uh the oxygen and nitric oxide that creates that perioxynitrite cycle to start yeah and i definitely want to talk a little bit more about the near infrared um later on but uh, since you mentioned 5G, we're starting to hear a lot of the cell phone companies uh, talking about the 5G network, and we know that it's coming. Um, it doesn't seem like there's anything we can do to stop that train. But what does uh, 
what's the difference with 5G? Is it worse to the body? And then if so, um, what are some ways that we can protect ourselves from it? Yeah, so with 5G, they're opening up a bunch of higher frequency uh, bandwidths, uh, 30 gigahertz and above, I think all the way up to um, 80. I'm not sure if they're using some of those higher ones, but I know they're using some in the 28 and the 34 gigahertz and possibly 40-something gigahertz uh, bands. But basically what what the energy does at those levels is, you know, as the frequencies get higher, the wavelengths get smaller. So they're able to fit through tiny spaces a lot easier. Um, but one of the characteristics is that they also have a harder time going through solid objects when they get higher. And so um, they have to increase the wattage that they're sending these at for them to push through some, some of the different materials. And I've looked at a lot of studies uh, on 5G and you can look these up yourself on the um, like Qualcomm website Their Qualcomm is a manufacturer of a lot of the antennas that the different cell phone companies use, but they have studies in like indoor mall environments and that sort of thing. And you can see the materials that they're like, Oh, we shouldn't, Make, we shouldn't build um, shops out of this or that because tinted glass blocks these frequencies and metal blocks these frequencies and all these different things. So even you know even if even tinted glass can can block these frequencies, then they're going to be easily blocked by a lot of the shielding technology that we already have. The issue is that they're going to have these on every you know every like every other block or something in order to be able to connect everything together and have these higher frequencies that are able to give you higher speeds. So being outside becomes problematic. And if we can't be outside and be healthy outside, then, then that that's an issue, you know? So there, there's recommendations now that we're, we're developing with shielded healing where we have certain, uh, recommendations on what to plant in, what to plant in your backyard, what to build your house out of, how to shield a room for 5G, and there's a bunch of different things, you know, beyond that that has to do with also remembering the other types of EMF, because everybody's worried about 5G, but we still have the dirty electricity, the electric fields, the magnetic fields that can be just as bad. So it sounds like um, since uh, so much can block out the 5G, that it would be more problematic for the cell phone companies to be putting these in, especially if they have to put in a tower of some sort every block or two. So what is the benefit for them to put these in if it can't get through a lot of building material or even tinted windows? Well, they're trying to... Uh, free up some bandwidth in their current 4G and 3G networks so that they can utilize those more efficiently to that to to use to get through the walls and everything. So like in Houston, they're installing 5G and you can look up on antennasearch.com the, the frequencies that they're using on the towers around you. And we know, and you can also see what company has those antennas installed. 
And so if you go right on the website, type in your address, antennasearch.com, you can see uh, you can see basically within a four-mile radius. I think you can probably change the radius on there too. Uh, but you can see like the different towers that are around you and you start to click around on them and then look up the more information and you can see what frequency that they're being broadcasted at. So uh, you should, I, I think they've been updating that as the 5G networks have been installed. Uh, so you can actually go on there and you can see what frequency they're broadcasting at. And what I've found is that uh, on these poles, every, every so often in, um, in Houston, where they, where they say this is the 5G neighborhood, they're not using these higher frequencies. They're actually using 3.5 gigahertz in, in those, on those poles. And they might change those out in the future. I don't know. But 3.5 gigahertz is something that we can, we can shield against. Um, but it does penetrate through a little better than quite a bit better than those higher frequencies. So, my thinking is that they're going to be using these, um, the higher frequencies that everybody's afraid of as beam forming technology that's going to basically transfer information from, from neighborhood to neighborhood. And the industry is probably going to, going to say that it doesn't spray off anywhere. It doesn't do this or that. It's beam formed. It's got like a laser. It's perfectly aimed at, at this. But I've actually measured a lot of these um, antennas, and they have a lot of overspray, and there's extremely high levels even anywhere near near these towers that are supposed to be beam forming or or supposed to, supposedly like a laser. It's it's not really like that. That's not really how the radio frequencies work. Um, they can reflect off of things, and when they do reflect off of things or 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 come in contact with any metal, that metal can resonate and actually broadcast a transient frequency to another person or another area. And so it'd be really nice if we could actually see these frequencies because then we could we would know if there's anything beaming in without measuring it. And even measuring it is is a little difficult to understand where where the frequencies are coming from and if it's a transient frequency or a primary frequency and that sort of thing. So um you really have to just get somebody out there that can measure all of this to your house so you know like what you're being exposed to and what the appropriate shielding uh, would be to have in your in your home and especially in your bedroom. And since there's so many different frequencies out there and uh, when you're trying to measure what is best for a home or for a bedroom, is there one uh, meter that works for everything or do you have to use multiple different um, tools in order to be able to measure everything? Yeah, you have to use a different meter for every single type of EMF, number one. You know, for electric fields, you can use a multimeter. Those are very inexpensive. You can get them at any any hardware store, and you just set it to the voltage setting. Have, and if you have one in front of you, you know, go out to the hardware store, go get one. Come pause the podcast right now if you want to do this. Go out get, get the hardware store, get a multimeter that has a voltage setting, it has a little V with a squiggly line over the top, and you can get it for like thirty bucks or less. And then you can come back, and what you want to do is you want to plug the COM port into the ground of your home, 
or a stake in the ground outside. And then the other wire you plug into the, the voltage port has a V on it. And then you just grab the tip of the end of that. And you also want to make sure before, if, before plugging into the wall that you have a little ground plug checker to make sure that you have proper wiring. Because if you had a hot ground, then that could potentially electrocute you. So you don't want to do that. But you do want to check to make sure your ground is proper and then uh, and then touch the tip of, of the, the wire. It's fairly, it's really actually really safe to do this. And then uh, you can see your body voltage and you can like, with your other hand, you can touch like an extension cord and you can see your voltage go up. You can test yourself in the sauna and that sort of thing. So that's one meter that you can get that's very inexpensive to go around and test your body voltage in your bed, in your sauna, in on you know in your office places where you spend a lot of a lot of time um that's very inexpensive way to measure voltage for electric field exposure then magnetic field exposure you need a different meter called a gauss meter and um and then for the radio frequencies you have to have one that measures wireless and those and those ones only go up to a certain frequency range so most of the ones that people are buying for their home use only go up to like eight gigahertz. And I'm not even sure they really accurately go up to that uh, because I've done side-by-side tests with, with, with some and had a known frequency that was like seven or eight gigahertz and one didn't pick it up, but another one did. So it really, ideally it's best to get a professional to come out with their professional equipment to measure these things. Uh, And then there's a whole different, uh, meter to measure the higher frequencies, you know, that, that are much more expensive when you get into the 5G frequency range. Which in order to get all those different meters anyways, it's probably cheaper to pay someone like you to come out that actually knows what they're doing to be able to measure your whole house and tell you what, what's going on and the different things that you can do. So definitely, definitely recommend going the professional route for that. Um, but you have mentioned uh, infrared. You've mentioned near infrared and how that can be beneficial. Uh, and right now we're seeing a lot of uh, uh, people promoting infrared or near infrared and far infrared saunas. So can you talk about uh, if saunas put out EMFs as well? And then what's the differences between the different infrared types? Yeah, so with infrared, um, you know, with everything, if you kind of take this, 30 to 50,000 foot view of, of what we as humans need and, and, uh, and will use ancestrally, uh, you, you want to have a infrared source that is similar to what we get from the ultimate infrared ancestral source, which is the sun. And so a lot of these saunas out there are that are far infrared are not understanding this concept because we only get like two to something like two to three percent of far infrared from the sun, and forty percent of the sun's energy is is in the near infrared, and so a lot of these far infrared saunas they have mostly far infrared and very little near infrared, and definitely not in the therapeutic range. Even if they say they're full spectrum, their uh, their radiance, which is the the dose that you're getting of the near infrared, is very minuscule even in uh, some of these so-called full-spectrum saunas. Um, but as far as the EMF goes, 
yeah, you're surrounded by these uh, heaters in these in far infrared saunas too that also are emitting large magnetic fields. And even the ones that are claimed to be low EMF, they're still pushing out like anywhere from one and a half milligauss to two to to two or three milligauss in the areas where you're sitting and supposed to be detoxing and in this relaxed state. But it's got this alternating current magnetic field that's a pulsed magnetic field that's pushing through your body back and forth at 50 to 60 times per second. And every single mineral in your body has a reaction with, with magnetism. And so it's pulsing back and forth all the cells and, and minerals in your body 50 to 60 times per second and causing a, a sort of stimulus that can be a cortisol response that pulls you out of a truly parasympathetic state, which is what you want to be in when you're detoxifying. So, um, it, it's it's really hard industry to get the truth in because so many people are making money off of affiliate sponsors and and uh, <laughs> and they really want to sell this big dollar item to you and they'll say anything you know I when I first got into doing these EMF assessments I went around to a lot of different sauna companies and asked to test their sauna at at like conferences and different things and a lot of them wouldn't let me do it. And the ones that did, I was like, ah, this is actually really high. And then they would bring out their meter that's like a rink-a-dink $20, $30 meter and say, no, look, it says zero on my meter. Your meter must be wrong. <laughs> like, well, your meter's like $30. Mine's $1,000. I wonder which one I should trust. <laughs> you know? But uh, it's it's something you really have to be careful of is you don't believe the low EMF. Don't believe the full spectrum. Uh, always measure it for yourself. Uh, that's what I kind of have come to with, with everything because even some of the shielding products I've used and recommended in the past, I finally got them tested this last year and and I found out some information about that that I that I had to change all my recommendations based on based on that information. But yeah, with the with the saunas, um, you ideally want uh, the bulk of the bulk of your uh, infrared exposure to be in the near infrared range that's what our bodies need are we eat that near infrared light and uh i think in an interview with dr mercola and alexander vunch um they talked about how actually two-thirds of your atp production in your in your mitochondria comes from light and only one-third comes from the the like food so most of our energy production in our bodies, two thirds of it is coming from light, which, you know, as a nutritional therapy practitioner, I'm like, whoa, that's like a big bombshell <laughs> because yeah, that's know, fascinating. Yeah, we, we, uh, we have, uh, we have all this, this food that we're, we're concerned about the quality of it and rightly so. And every, everything that we do in that, I've seen amazing results, just getting people to digest their food and to, um, you know, get out of the sympathetic state and slow down and eat and not have all this toxic food in their body and everything. But when you, when you're talking about it from an energy perspective, which I rarely talk about when I'm talking about food, cause it's mainly about the, the toxicity and getting the nutrients from the food that, uh, that we focus on as, as NTPs. Um, 
I don't really talk much about calories in, calories out. I think that's like an old model that doesn't really make much sense. But if you are talking about an energy production model, then uh, then you have to bring light into the equation because if it's two-thirds of your ATP production. Um, so, yeah, the near the near infrared is is the portion of the spectrum uh, that 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 your your mitochondria uh, has these uh, proteins called cytochrome C oxidase, and those are stimulated to produce the ATP. And um, you don't get that you don't get that in a far infrared sauna. You get heat in a far infrared sauna, but you don't get the photobiomodulation. Uh, and the mitochondrial stimulation from that. So it's a near infrared sauna is more than just a sauna. It's actually two therapies in one. And in the case of the sauna company that I that actually decided they wanted to work with me, you're getting another therapy and you're getting zero EMF and also zero flicker from uh, from lights. So it's almost like four therapies in one. You get a flicker break, you get an EMF break. And you get photobiomodulation, and you get a sauna. So if you're trying to look for something that where you have uh, a bunch of therapies that you can get all in one dose, one session, uh, the company that I uh, consulted with to fully shield their sauna is a near infrared sauna company called Sauna Space, and and they're I know their founder really well. He's become a good friend of mine, and. Uh, and he's always improving the product and they have a, they have a very, you know, everything's made in the USA too. So you can be proud of that when you purchase, you know, that people are getting fair wages and they're not spraying it with pesticides and, and that sort of thing. So it's a, you know, that to me right now, that's the best sauna company out there. It, it could change in the future. I don't think it will because they're always improving. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're looking for, for a good sauna that's truly ancestral, that that's the best match right now. So you mentioned uh, photobiomodulation, which uh, a lot of people have heard is what you receive when you do red light therapy. So is there a difference between um, the sauna space and the photomodulation from that? Um, or is it pretty similar to some of these uh, red light therapy uh, products such as the juve light? Yeah, well, it's all of them are good, and they all show benefits. Um, my my feeling on it is that you can, you know, a lot of the studies that they do in uh, conventional medicine, and which which kind of bleeds into some of this alternative work that we that they do with light too as well, is they're they're uh, cherry picking certain frequencies in the studies. They're like, okay, we're going to do this one at. 830 nanometers or this one we're going to do at 680 nanometers uh, and these are different uh, frequencies of near infrared spectrum and they use lasers or LEDs or, or whatever and uh, and they use those cherry picked frequencies in order to do the study and they show like in this certain range like whenever they pick a frequency it has some stimulate stimulation of this uh, cytochrome C oxidase and it has different effects depending on the frequency. Um, but to me, like they do that a lot in conventional, you know, medicine and, and science and big pharma, they'll, they'll take a, pull a constituent out of nature, like ascorbic acid, 
and then they'll say, look what ascorbic acid does, but then they don't think about like the the cumulative effect of having all the bioflavonoids uh, with that uh, creates this more synergistic effect. And so one thing they haven't studied extensively is the full spectrum. And that's what this, uh, the near infrared or the incandescent light provides is, um, yeah, it's a incandescent light therapy, but it's providing a full spectrum along all of the stimulation bands. And so it's a more holistic way to do um, red light therapy because it's not only got 830 nanometers or 680 or, you know, it has that and everything in between. And, you know, even some of the people that are the most experienced studying this, like Hamblin, have have stated in interviews and things that, yeah, there's possibility of synergistic effects. And you can definitely get photobiomodulation from from any any frequency in those in those uh, ranges of this uh, optical window, they call it. And then uh, you mentioned Flickr. Can you briefly talk about what Flickr is? Yeah, so Flickr, anything that's that's plugged into a wall, any light that's plugged into a wall, is going to have some Flickr. Uh, the only exceptions to that is is uh, if there's an if there's a driver in it that prevents it from flickering or if there, if it's an incandescent light, it won't flicker nearly as much. So, um, the, the electrical current that we're running on is alternating current or a pulsed current. And it, it basically pulses at 50 times per second outside of the United States in the United States. It's 60 times per second, 60 Hertz. So, 60 cycles per second of of alternating means it's 120 flickers and 100 in outside the United States. So 120 times per second we can't really perceive that with our eyes but with our with our brain actually our but our eyes do perceive that and that's why a lot of people that are under um fluorescent lighting or LED lighting uh have been known to get headaches and uh, nausea and and uh, even pain in the eyes and things like that. Um, so there's actually even weapons that they use that the different military, you know, different countries, their militaries have developed that have a flickering light that actually debilitates you based on the the flickering effect of from the light. They have like flashlights that are weaponized flashlights that that do that. So the flickering of light has a really big impact on the, on the nervous system. And the question is, um, you know, is it healthy to be around that flickering light all the time? And the fact that you have photoreceptors on your skin, we don't have flickering light in nature. Um, it's, it, you know, the sun is a constant direct current of, of, uh, of light. And so the incandescent bulb, because it has a filament, it, it heats up. And even though it's on the alternating current, the pulsed current, it never cools down fast enough to to shut off. It just kind of glows down, but it but it uh, then raises up again really really quickly. And so, but on an LED or a fluorescent light, it shuts off instantaneously at the speed of light. So it will hit that 120, um, you know, times per second for sure uh, on on those. 
Awesome, Brian. Well, as always, you brought a ton of great information to share about EMFs on this uh, podcast. Uh, people can find you at shieldedhealing.com. Can you talk a little bit about the name of your company and what you can do for people? Yeah, so Shielded Healing, I kind of came up with that name because the idea is that, you know, we we want to be shielded in order to to heal. And and we need that this day and age because we're surrounded by a foreign all these foreign frequencies that our bodies are not used to. And and I've noticed in my practice and, you know, my training with Dr. Klinghart and his experience and the naturopathic an environmental medicine clinic that I trained with in Austria, all that collective experience has shown that if we just shield the bedroom, uh, people who are ill start to get better. And so we need to have this shielded healing in order to wake up these dormant healing responses in the body that many of us have never had woken up before. So, um, yeah, everybody needs their shielded healing. Uh, if, if anyone's interested in getting an assessment, I'm training some consultants right now to um to do those and i and i travel around the country often and and come into your home or office and uh basically make all the recommendations and uh, for every single thing that we find i leave you with those recommendations recommendations on the same day and guide you through the whole shielding process from start to finish i'll talk to your electrician your plumber your painter whatever and make sure that you're taken care of and then we also come back and test when we're in the area for free. So people can, uh, you know, know that those solutions are working. We're not just going to leave you hanging, wondering if they're, if they're working or not. Awesome. And people can figure out where you will be located on your website at shieldedhealing.com. Right now it looks like you are preparing for Portland, Seattle, Atlanta, LA, uh, San Luis, Austin, Dallas, and Houston. And I'm sure you got more places coming up as well. So uh, people can also find you on Facebook and Instagram, which will be in the show notes. Uh, do you have any final things you would like to say? Um, yeah. I hope everybody has a blessed day. Get out there, get some sunlight, and uh, get healthy. Awesome, Brian. Thanks so much for coming back onto the show. We appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, Brian. Great to be here. Well, there you have it. As you can see, there's a lot of information coming out about EMFs, and uh, Brian does a really good job of staying on top of it and uh, coming back onto shows like this to talk about the up-and-coming stuff such as 5G. So if you want to get $100 off of his in-home assessment, then go to summitforwellness.com slash EMF. And use the coupon code SUMMIT, S-U-M-M-I-T, to take $100 off. Also, if you are interested in the sauna space sauna that Brian had mentioned, uh, so that you have a sauna that is completely EMF-free, then go to summitforwellness.com slash sauna, and then you can see all the different products they have there. That is an affiliate link, so if you go through that link and you purchase, I do make a little bit of money off of it. That's just full disclosure, but it's links like that that helps to keep this show afloat. So again, that URL is summitforwellness.com slash sauna. 
Okay, if you really liked this episode, then please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. Those ratings and reviews do make a difference to get us uh, higher up on the chart so people can find us. So if you go to summitforwellness.com slash iTunes, it takes about 20 seconds to leave us a rating and review. Keep climbing to the peak of your health, and we will see you next time.